Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, we're glad you're here for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We actually have two good martinis today, as well as a very bad one. Could also describe it as crazy on some level, but we'll get to all that in due time. Uh, Jim, let's get to our first good martini. And as we have said a number of times here, we're generally reluctant to make Joe Manchin's tentative opposition to legislation a good martini because usually Joe Manchin ends up finding a way to either support it as it exists or just tweak it to give himself enough political cover that uh, he can say he stood up for uh, principle, but the Democrats still got what they want. See the supposed COVID relief uh, bill for, for $2 trillion. But when it comes to this reconciliation package, Manchin's statement yesterday, which suggests that we're not very close to uh, getting the horrific $3.5 trillion bill, uh, suggests that uh, he's fairly intractable, at least right now. Uh, He says, in part, what I've made clear to the president and Democratic leaders is that spending trillions more on new and expanded government programs when we can't even pay for the essential social programs like Social Security and Medicare is the definition of fiscal insanity. Suggesting that spending trillions more will not have an impact on inflation ignores the everyday reality that America's families continue to pay uh, an unavoidable inflation tax. Proposing a historic expansion of social programs while ignoring the fact we are not in a recession and that millions of jobs remain open will only feed a dysfunction that could weaken our economic recovery. This is the shared reality we all now face, and it is this reality that must shape the future decisions that we as elected leaders must make. Uh, he talks about how he's already called for a strategic pause on this to gauge inflation and everything else. Uh, he does say he uh, still plans to engage in good faith negotiations. So that's slightly disappointing. But uh, in addition to that, Jim, uh, he told your colleague uh, John McCormick up on Capitol Hill that any reconciliation bill that does not include the Hyde Amendment, which bans taxpayer funded abortions, is dead on arrival. So for the moment, Great job, Joe Manchin. And Kirsten Sinema, of course, has uh, been uh, staunchly opposed to the existing bill as well. So we don't know what's going to happen with the infrastructure bill today uh, or down the road or even with this bill down the road. But as of right now, this definitely is on pause. And that's a good thing. Indeed, Greg. I think a good way of looking at it is that this trepidation or lingering cynicism that you and I bring to watching this fight uh, figuring that at some point Joe Manchin will find his fig leaf and say, "Okay, we can go along with what the Dem- you know we can go along with like ninety percent of what the Democrats want." I think the Democrats had that same kind of expectation that this was posturing, that this was all uh, positioning for you know cosmetic purposes and not really a major disagreement on substance. And yesterday they expected him to come around, and he did it. <laughs> And in fact, you know, he's laying out, you know, in fairly staunch terms, he's laying down a marker that would make it very hard for him to walk back from. Uh, And this was the week. And there's this it's admittedly self-imposed deadline for Democrats. They figured this was the week we'd start getting these big spending bills passed and and they'd have momentum and they would build towards it. And it's not happening so far. And it really, you know, does not feel like uh, Manchin is, is ready to sign on with any of this. Um, you know, calling it fiscal, ins- if once you've called something fiscal insanity, it's really tough to come back and say, yes, but 80% of that is fiscal sanity. <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be uh, very tough to, to get him into this. So he's, he's holding out. And I think 
the entire time, Democrats have kind of been in this denial about the fact that they have 50 votes, which means everybody's got to be on board. And the sort of legislation that appeals to a Joe Manchin or a Kirsten Cinema, for that matter, or even a, a Maggie Hassan or any of these other guys, is just not going to be the kind of legislation that's going to excite Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. It's they, they just they're different, and that means the least liberal, the least progressive, the least big spending member of the Democratic Senate caucus effectively has a veto. That's what happens when you have 50 votes. And the entire time there's been this denial. And I think my favorite example of this, uh, Greg, was a tweet from Robert Reich or Robert Reich, as uh, Rush Limbaugh <laughs> used to call him, uh, where he was, you know, you know, clearly exasperated with them and clearly frustrated. Robert Reich just is like, you know, says, ah, you know, what if, and hear me out here, we just stop letting two corporate Democrats single-handedly block every single progressive policy we elected Democrats to pass? By the way, Greg, do you notice that like they still think corporations are on Republican side? <laughs> right. I mean, ask, ask grassroots Republican conservatives. Do you feel like companies are on your side? You feel like Nike and you know all these others are? No, I don't think so. Um, Disney, all, you know. but the other thing is like, you know, so I, I realize like what Robert Reich is asking here is what if, and hear me out here, the Senate needed just 48 votes to, to pass legislation instead of 50 with the vice president breaking a tie. Indeed, what if? <laughs> Brought to you by Marvel on Disney Plus. I gotta be honest. What if the Senate only needed 48 votes to pass legislation is absolutely the dullest idea Marvel's ever had. Uatu the Watcher could not salvage this. That's uh, looking for it. You know, no, you need you need at least half. You need at least half of the veep to, to break the vote. That's how it works, Robert Reich. And sorry, you know, if you wanted to be able to do more, you should have elected more Democrats. And one last kind of note here. I do start wondering if we're reaching the point where Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, they would never openly say this, but there's a part of them deep in their guts that is saying, God, do we really need to win both Georgia races? Because if Chuck, if Mitch McConnell was still Senate Majority Leader, they'd have a very easy answer to the AOCs and Bernie Sanders and all the other progressives. Like, look, we'd love to do that, but we can't because we don't have control of the Senate. We only have 49 votes. And they wouldn't have any of these things. These expectations would not be there. And instead, you've just got this giant fight that just goes on and on between the progressives and the centrists. And Greg, I'm going to run out of popcorn. <laughs> I still wish we had the majority. As fun as the popcorn yeah, that's is. that's a good point. <laughs> A uh, couple of things quickly on uh, Robert Reich, as uh, yeah, as Rush used to call him. Uh, first of all, uh, the Party of Science, you know, which I assume he believes he's part of, thinks two people can single-handedly do something, which is yeah, fascinating. that's a good point. How many how many single hands are they using there? You know, <laughs> True. it's a although, double single hand. Although it only Before, takes one. really. <laughs> although it only takes one of them to derail it. Also, I'm pretty sure Robert Reich was in the. Uh, hey, we got to let the popular vote decide the. Um, the presidency, not the Electoral College. So now he's not in favor of the popular vote deciding what happens in the U.S. Senate, even on reconciliation, much less uh, when you need to break a filibuster. But uh, anyway, uh, one last uh, note on this first good martini is that uh, the Senate parliamentarian has once again uh, denied the Democrats' efforts to, this time, revamp existing immigration law to basically uh, you know, set the stage for amnesty. And she said, no. Do you want to do that? You need actual legislation. Uh, and no, that does not fit into the reconciliation process. So uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, according to Capitol Hill reporters uh, that just tweeted recently, uh, she thinks she's got the votes to pass the infrastructure bill today. So I don't know how that's going to change the dynamic here. She probably wouldn't say that if she wasn't confident, but uh, not great. Not great, but uh, certainly better than the reconciliation bill. 
All right, let's talk about uh, our first wonderful sponsor today, and that is Nutrafol. Uh, thankfully, uh, Jim and I are enjoying uh, thick, healthy heads of hair, but when it comes to thinning hair, you no longer have to choose between natural remedies and those that actually work. There's a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness that doesn't need drugs or prescriptions. Did you know that there are five root causes for thinning hair? Nutrafol is a hair supplement that goes beyond genetics to target stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, and environmental factors that may be impacting your hair. Nutrafol is clinically grown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. 21 potent natural ingredients support better sleep and less stress too. And in a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three months and six months. Nutrafol is also trusted and recommended by more than 1,500 top doctors. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code MARTINI to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping comes on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. Promo code MARTINI. All right, Jim, let's move on to our second good martini now. And it's never exciting when you're still spending way more money than we should to, to fund the federal government. But today, in addition to uh, you know Nancy Pelosi's decision day on infrastructure and she was hoping reconciliation, it's also the end of the fiscal year, which means uh, there needs to be legislation to fund the government. The Democrats were trying to tie that into a raising of the debt ceiling to fund their spending binge here. Uh, Republicans voted against that en masse in the House, still passed there, but uh, they also voted against it en masse in the Senate, where it did make a big difference. And so uh, Chuck Schumer has acquiesced now. There will be a, a continuing resolution to fund the government into early December, and it will not include a debt ceiling hike. And so WTOP, the local uh, news station here in town, uh, says Schumer is still talking doom and dread, uh, even with this deal he has now agreed to, uh, saying doing this without raising the debt ceiling is very risky, could lead to default. He thinks individual senators could still derail even the deal they've done. But earlier today, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, as you can tell from this clip, very, very excited that this new deal's in place. On government funding, what Republicans laid out all along was a clean, continuing resolution without the poison pill of a debt limit increase. That's exactly what we'll pass today. Earlier this week, the Democratic leader tried to muscle through something different through a partisan jam but it failed. Now the government will be funded as we laid out. That's step one. Jim, I know Mitch McConnell's a Louisville fan, not a University of Kentucky fan. And, you know, I think they won a national basketball championship a few years ago that ended up getting vacated. But can't you just see him, you know, when the confetti's raining down, turning to Elaine, his wife, and going, I am elated that Louisville won the championship. <laughs> and so that's pretty much how he is when he wins these negotiations with Schumer, too. So, uh, you know, Cocaine Mitch hasn't lost his touch. Uh, you know, it, it really is quaaludes. But uh, so there's two observations. The first is, um, I suppose there's a school of thought that would say a government shutdown when the Democrats controlled the House, Senate, and the White House would be a real embarrassment for them. And so I, but that's one of the reasons I didn't really think this was going to amount to too much. If it had not, if they had actually gone past the deadline, you almost certainly would have seen all Democrats unify for a continuing resolution to keep on the government for, you know, 
whatever amount of time they would need for a longer one. So that's, you know, that's fine. Um, the fact that Schumer couldn't get the debt ceiling, you know, increase on this, you know, maybe there's part of him that like, maybe, maybe he thought there were some Senate Democrats who, I'm sorry, Senate Republicans who'd be like, ah, I don't want to deal with this. Let's just increase both of them. Let's get this, uh, let's focus on the spending bills, all that kind of stuff. Look, if you have a state where you're part of the op- opposition party is utterly riven by divisions, as we've seen from Democrats, right? These this last couple of weeks, I really last couple of months and the divisions are getting worse. Yesterday's podcast, I said, you know, when you're, when your enemy is destroying himself, just stand there. Don't do anything. Don't give them, you know, don't intervene. Don't uh, give them anything that could you know, reunify them or, you know, or anything like that. In this particular case, the fact that Democrats, you know, you got to do a spending bill. Then they're going to have to vote to raise the debt limit. They're going to get no help from Republicans, and which means they're going to take the, the blame for it. The same way Republicans had to take the blame the past couple of times they've had to raise the debt limit. Republicans are going to run an ad saying, you know, with gravelly voiced narrators saying, you know, Senator so-and-so voted to raise the debt to blah, 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 trillion dollar, you know, and, that, that, you know, and they'll, they'll take their hit on that. And they, I think what I'm really pleased with is that, you know, generally by not biting, by not looking too eager, Republicans in both the House and the Senate are letting this fight amongst their Democrats just linger and linger. And the longer it goes on, the harder it gets to kind of you create a lasting healing between those divisions. Um, if this, if they actually generally don't get uh, either the bipartisan infrastructure package or the build back better 3.5 trillion, whatever they're calling it these days, the recriminations of the Democratic Party will be enormous. Now, I also think eventually they would unify to pass something. They would just say, all right, what can get 50 votes amongst all 50 senators and they'll get that passed. So that would be, you know, that's the consolation prize. But I think there would be just so much bitterness and so much anger and so much lingering resentment that would really complicate the governing for the Biden administration for the rest of his days. And, you know, if someday Kamala Harris is president, you could see this kind of division. In the end, this is not a very, you know, like you want this to go on and be as long and painful as possible. And Greg, we're almost October. <laughs> No, that's exactly right. And and look, I'm sure we've got fiscal conservatives. I certainly consider myself one saying, how can you be excited that we're going to continue spending for more than two more months at these ridiculous levels? And I, I agree. But what really frustrated me over the years was when we actually controlled the White House, the Senate and the House, but didn't have a filibuster proof majority. And, uh, and Republicans were like, well, yeah, we control everything. But, you know, they've got 41 votes in the Senate. So what are you going to do? That's frustrating. When Democrats control everything, uh, this is probably about the best you can do. So you have to set your expectations with the with the conditions you're playing with. And so uh, McConnell did about as well as he could do here. Um, and so I'm not all that optimistic about what the funding's going to look like or where the debt ceiling's going to go from here. But uh, we've we've at least lived to fight another day. And you know who's also happy about this, Jim, is Glenn Youngkin. Remember eight years ago when it was McAuliffe versus uh, Cuccinelli and there was the government shutdown? And that did not did not help Ken Cuccinelli. Without that, it's possible we never would have had a Governor McAuliffe. And uh, without uh, handing the Democrats a, a political uh, you know, whip to, to, to hit the Republicans with right now, could be good for uh, preventing Terry McAuliffe 2.0 in Virginia. So we'll see. All right, let's talk about my pillow and the wonderful products that you can get there. Uh, we've talked many times about the pillows, the sheets, the towels, uh, so many wonderful products, but uh, I love my slippers. My favorite thing to have on my feet as I walk around the house, but uh, you can also wear them outside the house, which makes it amazing. My slippers took two years to develop at my pillow. They wanted to ensure they are the highest in quality and comfort. 
and I can say they succeeded. Uh, and right now, you can get a huge discount on your set of my slippers with our promo code Martini at checkout on MyPillow.com. You can save 50%. These slippers are durable. You can wear them all day, indoors, outdoors, wherever you like. They're made with beautiful leather suede, have cozy faux fur linings, and a sole suitable for indoors, outdoors, patios, wherever you want to go. They come in moccasin or slip-on style. They're available in a variety of colors, and they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. But you really need to hear about their three-tier cushioning system. The first layer is the MyPillow patented fill. They took the MyPillow patented foam that you know and love and created a solid layer to provide incredible comfort. The second layer is the Comfort Memory Foam, which provides that micro comfort and support to wear all day. And the third layer is the patented Impact Gel, which is made from U.S. soybeans and is revolutionary in absorbing impact and relieving pressure. The cushioning system here, which Jim just laid out, is so comfortable. It's hard to explain just how soft and cushy uh, your, your feet feel, but they're well-supported also. It's just a great combination. For a limited time, MyPillow is offering 50% off the new My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com, click on that radio listener's square, enter the promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Now, while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets. You can only save that 50%, though, on the new My Slippers with our promo code MARTINI. Call 800-874-0104 or visit MyPillow.com today. All right, Jim, on to Afghanistan for our bad-slash-crazy martini today. And, of course, we have had many critical things to say about the Biden administration for letting the debacle that happened there and the fall of Kabul and the rapid collapse of the whole country Happened with uh, the way we withdrew, uh, the very chaotic situation over the last two weeks with the Taliban controlling the perimeter around the airport, people having a difficult time getting there, uh, leaving a day earlier than the deadline, leaving American citizens, green card holders, thousands of Afghan allies and so forth. And so very frustrating. The government didn't do what it promised to do on so many different levels. That would be bad enough. Now it's actually making life very difficult for private efforts to try and get the people out so, you know, we can actually honor those promises. This is courtesy of uh, Karen Townsend over at Hot Air, and there's also Reuters uh, uh, reporting on this story. Basically, what's happening here is that uh, the organizers of a flight from a nonprofit called Project Dynamo uh, sponsored a, a charter flight carrying more than 100 Americans and U.S. green card holders evacuated from Afghanistan. It sounds like there's some special immigrant visa allies on there as well. Uh, landed in Abu Dhabi. And basically what's happened, Jim, is that it's been on the ground now this for 14 hours as of last night. So give it another 12, 26, 27 hours now uh, because the U.S. won't give it landing rights. And obviously you want to make sure you're vetting people properly. The citizens and the green card holders should be pretty simple. The SIVs, I would think, if they've got the paperwork filed, should be pretty simple as well. But no, uh, you know, we had all those people stuck at Mazari Sharif. And now we've got uh, over 24 hours now, people on the ground in uh, the UAE with 117 people on board, including 59 kids, and the Department of Homeland Security is not responding to uh, requests for comment. This is just embarrassing and disgusting. It, it is, Greg. Uh, my colleague Ryan Mills has a story on National Review uh, headlines, more than 100 Americans being denied entry into U.S. after evacuating Afghanistan. And he talked to Brian Stern, who's a U.S. military veteran and the co-founder of Project Dynamo. And, and Stern kind of lays it all out there. Um, for the folks I've been hearing from, including my readers who are very involved in this, 
They didn't have to tell me things about the Project Dynamo effort, but they were giving similar stories of just finding the U.S. State Department utterly exasperating to deal with. And certainly no sense of urgency, certainly no sense of uh, anyone has been lit, lit a fire under them to make sure that, you know, the paperwork and these sorts of things get moving. Um, you know, just they, they, they and the, you know, this, this is the aspect of the story that they are hesitant to lay out in too much detail because they are still at this point entirely dependent upon the U.S. State Department for processing the paperwork so that people can get out of Afghanistan and in some cases into the United States. In most of these cases, just want to get the folks out entirely. Um, you know, like cases where you've got uh, you know, one person has a, a green card holder or has, you know, per permission to come into the United States, but the spouse and the children don't. And you're like, okay, we really need to get papers for these folks. What do you need? You know, they don't have a ton of paperwork, birth certificates or any other kind of stuff you'd use to verify your identity through this process. And um, the State Department, they, you know, they, they, I think the word my source, who I've nicknamed Samaritan, he says sometimes he just feels like he's sending information into a black hole. And he just doesn't hear a response for extraordinarily long stretches. And the, the frustration is palpable in every message that I hear from him. I, again, I don't, I don't know what the State Department's doing. I, I, it's, it's really befuddling. It's really frustrating. Uh, it was intriguing to hear reports that Milley had really tore into the State Department in the private hearings, closed door hearings on Capitol Hill. He did not take quite the same tone in his public comments. Uh, while testifying with the Senate Armed Services Committee. But if getting rid of Blinken would improve the situation, I would feel better. I would say, okay, let's get rid of him. But I don't know if the problem is Blinken. I think the entire attitude of the administration is that they don't want to, uh, they want the Afghanistan story to go away. And so there's no, you know, the urgency to get the people out would keep the story alive. And so I think there is just this, let's treat it like it's a normal situation. Let's not act with any particular urgency. Let's not treat it like, you know, this is, this is an emergency that, you know, lives are at stake at any given moment. And let's hope that the story goes away and that'll be the happy ending instead of actually getting the people out who deserve to get out. Um, this story from Project Dynamo is just utterly exasperating. And it's interesting how, you know, all the different issues we argued about in the 2020 cycle. I'd really like to see, maybe for 2022, a big national discussion of, are we well served by our government? And if we are not, and I think the evidence is pretty clear in that direction, we should have, you know, the next, the people we elect should be reformers, should be ready to go in there and kick tail and take names, fire people if necessary, and get everybody motivated on job one instead of protecting or turf wars or any of the other things that are, uh, are slowing things down. But, you know, hey, these are the, these are the sorts of things that only become clear if you've written a whole book about, you know, the federal bureaucracy, right? <laughs> the Weed Agency. You definitely need to read that book. I just don't get it. I mean, wouldn't you just rather have stories of, you know, quiet cooperation? We promise to get these people out. And even though the military is gone, we're doing what we promised to do. We're helping these private efforts. Wouldn't that be better PR than stories out where oh, yeah, yeah. we're Our trying to get these hour... people out? Yeah, our darkest hour was followed by our finest hour, right? That's the only way the U.S. government could have salvaged its reputation from this utter, colossal, generation-defining debacle that we've witnessed in Afghanistan. And they're not even I'm sure there are some people within the State Department who are trying, but the overall impression is that they treat this as just another day at the office, and there's no sense of urgency over there. <sighs> 
Jim, we did get two good martinis in today. We should be thankful for that. Uh, hopefully, uh, Pelosi's wrong on the head count. We'll find out uh, before we talk tomorrow. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. It's Friday tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. If you don't already, please tell your friends about us as well. We are extraordinarily grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday. And please join us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.